Hello, everybody, and hopefully you all can hear me as I am working on getting everybody here. Let's add everybody in. All right. And hello, hello. Live, live, and live. Hopefully everybody is having a wonderful, wonderful Tuesday. Unless you are in Australia, then it is Wednesday morning there. So a little bit of a time difference. So welcome everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us again for Coffee and a Conversation. We have a really, really special guest with us tonight. Um, if any of you guys have tuned in before, you have um, heard both Red and I talk about extremism and radicalization and our work with Beyond Barriers. And tonight we have a very special guest to share with us some insights on extremism and radicalization from Australia, actually. Uh, this is Tom Ravlick. He's an investigative journalist, author, and academic with more than two decades of experience in reporting on and analyzing politics and regulatory affairs for the local and international media. He is also an acclaimed author of Vulture City and Rorts and Ripoffs. Welcome to Coffee and a Conversation, Tom. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bacasha uh, and Brett, for having me on. It's a, it's a privilege. Yeah, you are right. There was a slight time difference. Australia is starting to wake up a little bit, and I, I judge how awake we are by how many rude comments there are directed at our politicians on Twitter. It's the country's starting to wake up right now. Awesome. <laughs> Appreciate it very much. Hey, Red, how are you doing this evening? With all things considered, I'm doing well, Acacia, and yourself. I'm doing good. I am doing good. I'm having, you know, my normal coffee, and it's going absolutely fantastic right now. Oh, I, I, I unfortunately had to miss out on my coffee today. I had a, uh, three MRIs back to back and, uh, yeah, uh, as a result of the auto accident that I was in. But, uh, so unfortunately I had to miss my coffee today and I'm feeling it, but, uh, uh, to make no mistake tomorrow morning, bright and early, I'm getting a hold of that black rifle coffee and I'm going to just have fun with it. <laughs> that is awesome. Good to hear. So, Tom, uh, we will just jump right into this. Um, sure. Give us a little bit of background on uh, you and what you what you do and how you got into doing this. Okay. Well, there. It, I first started in journalism back in nineteen ninety five in the Jurassic era era when Tyrannosaurus Rex roamed the earth. Um, my first job in journalism is actually writing about the accounting world. So I got hired by a guy called Michael Wilkinson, who features later in my story again. Um, and he, he looked at me and said, I think he could edit him a publication called Chartack Accountancy News. Let me fit you in. I knew nothing about accounting at the time. Um, and I was literally dropped into it. So from that point on, um, for a good good decade, I was involved in running about sort of financial crime, accounting, corporate law, all that sort of stuff that sometimes tends to be seen by people as a non-medical cure for insomnia, right? <laughs> right. And you and you then then after a decade of that, running for mainstream media in Australia, specialist magazines, and then in media overseas, including a crew called Lapidy Group, which has since changed hands. 
uh, multiple times. I can't quite remember who owns the newsletters I used to write for now, but uh, I got tapped on the shoulder by a professional uh, body, uh, now known as Institute of Public Accountants. They needed someone to um, make a bit of noise for them in accounting and audit policy. So I didn't, that, that, that's where I spent um, eight years and went into a tax uh, tax based organisation looking at taxation issues from an Australian standpoint. Finished there in 2016. Um, extremism doesn't enter into the picture in terms of writing and studying it and analysing it until I get back into journalism and, in, and also teach. So I'm teaching audit and assurance and then looking at things like terrorism propaganda and the masters, um, yeah, terrorism financing and resourcing. So then yeah, me being me, thinking, well, one masters isn't enough, let's go do a second. <laughs> right. um, and that's a, that masters in terrorism and security studies, so that had a, broad, wow. had a broader broader basis base for looking and analysing uh, history of terror organisations, right-wing uh, extremism and terrorism, um, looking at sort of terrorist operations, how people, how people who like blowing things up, do what they do, and what other people learn from them. Uh, right. So it, 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 we meet on a, at a point in time where I've spent four years looking at extremism and terrorism in, in some respects, in an academic sense, but also now having having moved into reporting on it a bit more extensively. Mm, that is awesome. Now, you said you got it. You said you got your a master's in the terrorism. Masters studies? in yeah, masters in terrorism and security studies. So that, that wow. the components of that are basically looking at principally um, history in the unit on the history of terrorism looks at the breadth of uh, uh, terror networks, their history, their their raise and cetera, their reason for being, and then you've got the uh, the, the other uh, sort of units that dive into specific areas, whether it be jihadism, whether it be right-wing terrorism. Um, there's a unit that I completed earlier this year that looks at transnational organised crime, and then, well, you know, not so long ago, we get the news about Operation Ironside with the cooperation from uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigations in your country, and the Australian uh, Australian Federal Police. Mm, so, yeah. that, that was a bit of a mouthful. But <laughs> we on Operation Ironside and the, the, and the way in which they managed to con people into using an app on a, on a phone that was locked for all other purposes. Right. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, um, it's an interesting period to be looking at it, all of these issues. Right. It's very fascinating. And I, I noticed you mentioned how you, um, you you followed the money, essentially. And a lot of people don't realize that when it comes to terrorism and a lot of these groups that they are funded somehow. And some of them are funded very well. And typically to get to the bottom, you have to follow the money. Um, so I was interested that you brought that up. Now, right now, I know here in the US and abroad, um, you know, extremism and radicalization is a huge, huge thing, especially the threat of 
white right wing extremism. Um, mm -hmm. How are things faring down there in Australia right now? Because I know you guys are having some issues right there right now and have an inquiry opened up down there. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, let's begin where our security um, organization, ASIO, the Australian uh, Intelligence and uh, Security Organization, sees things. Now, they have publicly said that the, the caseload related to right wing extremism, that is, things they're looking at in the area of uh, right wing extremism, or as we call it now, um, ideologically inspired extreme violent extremism. That has led to a political debate, which I'll, which I'll get to in a moment. But 40% of their workload is um, an increasing is in the area of looking at right-wing networks and white supremacist networks, networks that are other than jihadist networks that were otherwise known as um, religious-inspired you know, violent extremism, right? Mm -hmm. So you're sitting... Those two terms, by the way, have caused a political debate down here because people aren't used to thinking uh, outside of that, that, what we call colloquially here in this country and, and no doubt in the US, the culture wars. There's always a left and a right. There's always... Right. Um, there, there are always people fighting against each other in some format, whereas what the what security agencies in Australia and overseas are doing, they're saying, listen, we're not interested in policing opinion. We're interested in whether or not people are going to engage in violent extremism. That is what we're interested in. Right. Right? Now, it may be different on Twitter when people on Twitter want to block people Shut people down and not listen to to the views of uh, to the views of others, or um, recommend that security agencies should be looking at you know, certain politicians or the friends of politicians. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, Twitter is not an intelligence age. Twitter is a is a neat little free for all that provides some of us with a, 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 an interesting spectator sport during the day, but. At the serious end of the security organisations like ASIO and like our police organisations here in Australia, their mission is to try and make sure that violent acts do not take place, that people are not uh, don't have uh, their property damaged, or that um, lives aren't affected. And that 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 can be an interesting part of the debate because some people will want action taken on a group simply because of the perspective they hold. Nobody's got nobody's got the resources to be able to do that. Um, and for those listening or watching, uh, you might even want to have a look at a recent academic paper written by Sofia Moskalenko mm. and Clark McCauley in Perspectives on Terrorism, which looks at QAnon and how QAnon ought to be, or QAnon, depending on which part of the world you're at, Right. Um, it, it, it's the same kind of crazy, depending. <laughs> anyway, no matter how you pronounce it, the um, the Moskalenko Macaulay paper looks at the issue of how QAnon or QAnon ought to be treated in mm -hmm. the in in the communication in the way in which enforcement organisations deal with it, 
they conclude that you don't police opinion, stop trying to de-radicalise, forcefully de-radicalise people because it's not going to happen. You'll just push them further into the ideology. If you police action, you don't waste as many resources, but also you um, you keep your resources for things that really matter. So mm -hmm. I think that's part of that, that's part of where our debates at in this country on that front. You mentioned the inquiry. Mm -hmm. Now the parliamentary inquiry was sort of announced towards the end of last year. Their uh, their submissions were due in February. They've had two days of public hearings. Now, for, for a US audience, let me um, just briefly explain what the process is all about. The Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security is one of the most powerful parliamentary committees we have. There are representatives from the House of Representatives, our lower house, and the Senate. That parliamentary committee looks at a range of issues to do with intelligence uh, Intelligence and national security. It can be. It can range from almost anything. This inquiry is into extremist organisations and radicalism in Australia, and, and how we should be dealing with it. Mm. It was in part prompted, though not exclusively prompted, by the way uh, by the greater prominence that uh, organisations we would call far right and commentators you call far right, were having in the Australian community. Uh, an organisation that has been publicised here in Australia and no doubt across the globe, or people may have seen them mentioned on uh, on Telegram, depending on which public channels they've been hooking into, is a, uh, an organisation called the National Socialist Network. Mm -hmm. It has risen to prominence over the past couple of years. Yes, as 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 always, people involved in the NSN have been involved in other uh, other sort of illicit networks uh, in the sort of ideological extremist space, mm -hmm. um, and they've sort of built up a activity. They've uh, been doing their usual thing, throwing stickers around, throwing posters around. Uh, they went into the Grampians, which is a uh, a national park type reserve uh, here here in Australia in January, they were spotted sort of chanting the usual uh, the usual thing, and uh -huh. it made it made the newspapers, and then gradually it um, uh, sort of got into the mainstream media, got onto network television, and it it it, um, it did increase the following of one of their figures, Acacia on. On Telegram, you know, the, the, yeah. I, so what happened was a, a leader of that group had about five thousand odd followers on Telegram, and by the end of the week uh, of the broadcast of two stories on the National Socialist Network, it was in excess of eight thousand three hundred from memory. So three thousand plus additional wow. followers within the one week. Um, and yeah, not not sure that the broadcasters that the producers of the current affairs program intended that to happen, but that's how the world works. And it's an interesting case study on what happens when you cover uh, extremist movements in a particular way yep. that ends up drawing people drawing people's attention to them. Now. Yep. Whether all of those three thousand are people that are um, people who have sympathies with the organisation, 
I don't know. But in amongst the 3,000, there probably are. Uh, there's probably law enforcement types that make up the 3,000 that then follow uh, those guys on Telegram. And there may also be researchers and journalists and others who may not have followed the group or individuals within that group that have a public presence on, uh, on encrypted apps. So we're seeing, uh, with media coverage, increased awareness mm -hmm. um, down here. Uh, the parliamentary inquiry uh, has is still running. There's been no um, report as yet from them. Uh, they've taken submissions. There's only a handful of them that have been made public, by the way, Acacia, mm -hmm. uh, in part because there may have been groups that have sent submissions who may feel under threat if, they, if their submissions are made public. So there would be some mm -hmm. concerns about you know, the, the people's safety and that kind of thing. So, right. the, so the inquiry, I mean, the inquiry covers all the ob obvious, obvious things as well. Um, you know, how these groups come to be, um, how they communicate. Uh, Google, Twitter, and Facebook appeared before them, talking about the work they're doing in order to track um, extremist extremist views online and how they might be able to remove that content and how they police that content. So uh -huh. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of material there that um, if, if people watching this podcast um, or watching the, 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 the stream, rather, um, want to know more about the inquiry and its work, and we could spend all night talking about it, but we don't, <laughs> we, we don't have all night. Right. Um, the, 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 this is meant to be a coffee date for people. So <laughs> the... Uh, but it, 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 the parliamentary website is aph.gov.au and it's very easy to find the parliamentary committees on the website. People can just look at the menus. But it is a brilliant resource for those who are interested in the state of play uh, in Australia and how things, are, how things are moving. And what was the website again? I was going to throw it up here in chat for them. Okay, aph.gov. .au. In fact, what I'll do for you is um, uh, I'll get the I'll get the specific link. Okay. Um, and put it into the uh, put it into the into the comments. Yep. Can I? Or, uh, or I can put it into private chat, and you can. Yep, and I can throw it up there in the in the comments. That'll work. Yeah, there we are. Appreciate it. Awesome. Okay. It's right there. It'll take uh, it'll take people directly to the committee page. Um, you are able to see the submissions that are public. So the intelligence agencies I've spoken about earlier, law enforcement, they're public. There are some academic submissions that are public, and uh, the process was also streamed, uh, webcast, if you like, uh, by the parliamentary website on the actual days of of the hearings. Right, definitely. Pretty much, pretty much the same as your Congress does in um, in Washington. Okay, okay. Yeah, because I know different countries work a little bit differently with all of that, but overall it's the same general idea of different oversights and things like that. Now, um, you did mention about like the media and the media coverage of the extremist groups and the extremism yeah. and how we do that. And I know... You had Jeff Scoop on your podcast. Uh, yep. Sorry, it's Critical Line. Um, 
critical, critical line, line item. item. Sorry. Um, and you you did. There was an article in Crakey that I read about how um, we need to educate, and he had mentioned that. But on one of your podcasts, you mentioned about the media attention and how should the media cover extremism. Can you give us a little bit of your insights on that as well? It is actually interesting when you consider how uh, that debate has gone here in Oz. Um, if you take, take one step back, there was a on Telegram and, and, and another forum from memory, I think it might have been Gab, the National Socialist Network published its uh, playbook, if you like, its activist manual. Mm. And in the activist manual, they outline their, their approach to media. They talk about their approach being a media-baiting approach, mm. getting attention. And it, it it seemed to cause some surprise for people. And I scratched my head and I think, why? Why? It's the way it works. If, it's, if groups are small, the only way they're going to get attention and media coverage is if they pick um, words or or take actions that are going to trigger certain parts of the community to respond. Yeah. So you've got a call and response mechanism happening there. Um, and some people will automatically respond to an event or words online or something without thinking through whether that's actually an attempt to draw people into a debate about um, uh, you know, immigration or... Uh, or just incite people to get worked up. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Now, and, and media and the media can fall for it, and then we people have fallen for it because they haven't sat back and thought through whether the material that they're seeing presented is actually uh, being um, put forward in order to create controversy in its own right. Right. And, 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 but that then leads to the next question, obviously, which is how do you report on extremism responsibly? Well, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to take the opportunity to tell the audience this is how groups like, you know, um, the National Socialist Network or whoever it happens to be, it doesn't particularly matter, get attention. Even minor political parties from mm -hmm. time to time in this country will pick a topic. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Um, and they will try to get attention right. by raising that issue. Why? They don't have use that. They don't have huge advertising budgets. They can't buy splashes in the newspapers, yep. um, even during an election campaign. So what are they going to do? They're going to find ways of riling people up. So it'll be their announcement or their, their comments in, a par in Parliament or it'll be something said uh, during an interview on a, on a particular channel that might be sympathetic to them, and then the ball gets rolling, just like watching a game of ping pong. Exactly. It, becomes, it literally becomes a spectator sport. If you're not involved in having the fight on a particular issue, you're watching how this thing plays out and you scratch your head. You get, well, how did we get there? We got there because that in part was the intention of the the discussion being had or, or the thing being the topic being triggered. Exactly. Exactly. It's, 
it's very interesting that you say that because um, some people know this from my channel, some people don't. Um, everybody knows that I work with Beyond Barriers, um, but I actually was a propagandist with the movement at one point in time. And that's the thing, you know, like you said, you know, media attention is free, free advertising. Even if it's negative, they view it as free advertising. So you have to be very, very careful as to how you approach it. Um, and like you said, you know, you, you never know because you still have to, you still have to report what's going on in the world. So that's, it's a very delicate, like you said, to try and figure out which is the best way to do it. It's very interesting. Uh, but, but I think you need to explain the mechanism that's being used and how people are being manipulated as well. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't mean that those reacting to it uh, shouldn't be covered, uh, but you also need to explain to people that there's a, there's a high degree of manipulation happening here. And mm -hmm. it happens every day in our, in our political systems. You've got it in... Uh, in Congress, how often do people say weird things in Congress to get on television, to yep. get on Fox, to get on CNN or MSNBC? Politicians yep. do it here all the time. Yep, absolutely. And, and you know, there's nothing better for television hosts and producers than having uh, politicians who say weird things to fill up schedule time that might otherwise be empty or on some other issue. Right. Exactly. exactly. It's easy. It's easy content. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the more outrageous it is, whether it's coming from the right, left and different, the more chance you have that they're going to pick it up because it's like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe they just said that. And there you go. Like you said. It's, that's but, exactly but, what happens. But, but, let's think, but, but when I hear people say something weird, yes, I can believe they said that. Right. Um, secondly... I believe it, and then when, when people sort of say, oh, I can't believe they're still talking about that. Yeah, but they get it from somewhere. So it's in a question of the tactics they use, where they got it from, what the influences are, and you start going down into a bit better analysis of why people believe what they believe and how they've been caught up in something, mm -hmm. which is uh, obviously where my first discussion with Jeff Scoop uh, began and the second one, obviously, with the media, and then you know, people who follow your Twitter feed and follow you on uh, follow you on LinkedIn would have caught up with the fact that I also did an interview with Daryl Davis on, yes. on, sim on similar issues. Yep. Um, uh, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about Daryl's music career, however, which is <laughs> which fascinates me just as much. And in some aspects, even more. But um, but it, it, it's important that we um, demystify what people do and what people say. And I think the, the other the other interesting thing that, that comes out of some of the discussions I've had with people on extremism is the importance of uh, the broader education on philosophies and how different communities deal with certain issues. For example, um, anyone who's brought up in a kind of a Christian household, whether it be Catholic or Protestant, will know that um, there are different schools of Christianity or different streams of Christianity and how that evolved. 
Uh, funnily enough, some of those folks don't know how Islam evolved. They got no idea. Right. So you might they might understand that there's Lutheranism, there's Protestantism, there's Catholicism, there's whatever have you, but Islam they're, they're confused about because they haven't taken five minutes to even think about how uh, the, the belief system came about and how uh, people determine a particular school of thought within that belief system and how it develops. Um, one of the challenges I've put to people in conversation from time to time is to say to them, look, the way we in the media from time to time refer to Islam is as if we were referring to the entirety of Christianity and comparing it to or equal or painting it as being equivalent to mm-hmm. David Koresh's Branch Davidian sect. Right. Now, someone who sits someone who sits in the Christian space will turn around and say, that is not correct, that is inaccurate. Well, it's what people do it's what people who are ignorant and don't understand where Islam comes from and how those communities function mm-hmm. are doing to Islam. They're actually they're actually not applying sufficient critical thinking or even a genuine interest in understanding. Right. And that I think is critical because if if you're going to get to a point where people analyse issues like terrorism properly, you actually have to understand what the extremes are. We've got right. commentators. We've got commentators in this country who will sit on television and say, "If you don't understand the difference between moderate Islam and radical Islam, you're part of the problem." Well, if you don't define, for crying out loud, what what either is, how 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 are you supposed to uh, expect an audience to be able to differentiate with what extreme, what's extreme, and what 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 isn't? Very true. You know that 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 that, that hits on a very big nail on the head, Tom, and that's something here in the States that is uh, running rampant, uh, more especially in our media, um, or from even uh, certain groups of people such as uh, Christians, uh, for example. Uh, Again, uh, I want to preface before before I go further, (laughs) I want to preface that, bless you, I'm not uh, out to defame or, 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 or to bring bad light onto anybody. However, from, from what I've noticed from observations, um, you get uh, a lot of backlash with pride groups and, and uh, homosexuality and things of that nature yeah. from the, from, from the Christians, from the, uh, and, and a lot of it, they, they don't take the time to understand uh, like a lot of folks that they're just human beings like you and me. Um, Correct. Absolutely. Uh, you, you, you brought up uh, the differences in Islam. Uh, uh, followers of Islam. I, I've I've had the privilege to meet several Muslims that were absolutely amazing human beings and and shining examples of how we should be to towards one another. Uh, it's just uh, I I think and uh, Acacia, I think I've said this in a past podcast before that if we just take the time to sit and just talk, have open dialogue with one another, then a lot of this stuff goes away. But I think it a does. lot of uh, I think a lot of people are too afraid to think outside of their own bubble. Yeah, there's another problem though. 
um, we've got little devices like this. <laughs> yep. Right? Yep. Absolutely. And, and what have we trained? What have we? What have social media companies trained people to do? Respond instantly. Yes. Respond impulsively. Right. Respond emotionally, and oftentimes respond without thought. You know that that's you're absolutely correct, Tom. I, I'm I'm guilty of that myself. Uh, from, from oh, are you time. now? Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to deny that. <laughs> you know, but but uh, I think there's a lot more. Uh, a case is lost. It's okay. Yeah, uh, you know, I I, 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 I get with. it completely. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, but you know, it's it's just sad that. Um, Darn it! I lose, uh, the train just derailed. I lost my train of thought. Oh well. It'll come back to the station eventually. <laughs> one of these days. Um, yeah, two weeks from now. <laughs> right. That's one of those things, like you said, you know, we are trained to respond instantly. However, we are trained to respond in our reaction versus actually responding. We are reacting. And right. if there's yeah. one thing that I've learned is that because we are such a fast-paced society and everything, We've been trained not to stop and think before reacting or responding. Absolutely, but it, it's a world of engage—it's a world of engagement. But we, right? But we don't talk about the depth of that engagement. Right. We don't talk. We we. It, it's like going to the local public swimming pools and and swimming in the shallow end when you're generally when you're on social media. Um, it's yeah. probably not even that. It's one of those blow-up pools that you put in the backyard for kids to play with. Right. But it, 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 as I've said to people, you know, on many occasions, nuance doesn't fly well on Twitter. You yeah. try and be, you try and be nuanced on Twitter, people ignore you. Now, if you want attention on Twitter, the more outrageous you are, the better it is. But it's not in terms of engagement, right? Whether it's negative or positive. But the problem you have is you don't have that. Uh, that um, level of intellectual um, depth mm -hmm. that that it's, it's required in order to be able to sit down and say, okay, these are issues that need to be teased out in more uh, in more depth. And we've had over the past week a lot of material published online as a result of a, a, a program uh, from one of our premier current affairs shows, uh, looking at. The QAnon and the impact of QAnon on, on a family mm. um, that is associated with our uh, that, that is friends with the so you've got cop this um, the husband of the friend of our prime minister's wife is a, is into the QAnon gotcha. conspiracy okay and. The bit, there, there are two bits of controversy that have been dominating the debate on Twitter and elsewhere. Firstly, did a word ritual appear in, the, in a speech delivered by the Prime Minister because of the influence of um, the Prime Minister's wife's friend's husband? Um, who may have been going now, wow. you're, you're shaking your head, okay? That is where we're at, yeah, that is where we're at. And I, I sit back and I look at it and I'm thinking, firstly, um, 
whether whether the word ritual abuse was inserted because of a conversation between someone in the Prime Minister or whether the word was put in by the PM himself as a result of reading some aspects of evidence or something else, um, it ended up in there. So it, what the, or, the origin ends up being, to me, in part a, a debate that you know, the Prime Minister can only resolve. Mm-hmm. Whether he, but whether he has to or not, is it being... Exactly. I haven't, I, yeah, but that's the, that's the influence. So you've got this QAnon um, influencer that's at the centre of this. So the prime minister, I don't think the prime ministerial angle, by the way, is the important thing in that story necessarily. I think it's a it's it's a, I think it's a second or third level uh, issue for me. It's the impact that extremist groups have on. Uh, or extremist ideologies have on the immediate family and how families rupture as a result. And that, I think, is a far more interesting uh, issue to explore. Um, and that's where I thought the story had had a, had, had, uh, a merit because uh, people need to understand how people become a part of an online movement or a, or a physical movement mm-hmm. um, what happens to them while they're in that movement? What happens to families while they're in that movement? Exactly. And how they and how they move to exit? What inspires exit uh, from that space? Right, exactly. And it, and it is true. Like a lot of people don't be, because it is nuanced. And like you said, you know, our online, you know, whether social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of those, like it's there isn't the depth that needs to be there and they don't have time or need for nuances and everything can't be solved in a 120 character Twitter response um, at all. Cause you just don't get context. You don't context. You don't get any of that, but Absolutely. people don't realize that there's extremism and extremist groups and people that, become radicalized in those movements like there are steps to it and it affects more than just that person um i know we've talked about i'm not sure how i'm pretty sure it's kind of across the board but we've talked on our show before briefly about like cancel culture and doxing and things like that and a lot of people don't realize i understand some of them are thinking they're doing a really good thing by a lot of these things but they don't realize that these individuals, it's not just affecting them, it's they're affecting their families. It's affecting people that may have had absolutely nothing to do with their extremism and stuff that are becoming affected by these. And we tend to put everybody kind of in a box and we forget that this isn't just some unseen enemy that we're trying to fight. Um, I know I've said it before, like when I was involved in the movement, like, being, it was you against the world. What you were doing, you thought was righteous and the world was your enemy. And anybody that you didn't see the way you did was essentially your enemy. And you took that humanity from them. And because if you saw the humanity, then you'd realize that what you were doing wasn't right in a lot of ways. And um, I think a lot of times, even with those that are fighting against the extremism and the ex- against 
these radical ideologies and things, you still have to remind yourself that these are still people and these are still families that we're dealing with. And my train derailed on that one, but because I could go on all night about that. However, um, so for you, Tom, being an investigative journalist and covering a lot of these touchy subjects, I guess you could say, because um, you don't exactly just follow the mainstream of whatever everybody's popular thought is. Like I've noticed, I've listened to some of your podcasts and stuff. You are not afraid to challenge the box of thinking. Um, how difficult as a journalist is that for you? Well, it, it, for me, it's not actually that hard because that's the way I, I, I must have sort of bounced out into the world. Um, it, it, I don't mind pushing people a bit. I don't mind having conversations a bit because if you look at, and you're right, that if you look at the podcast series, it's not just one type of thing that I cover. I right. I look at uh, back back when COVID first hit, I looked at how people should be dealing with each other mm-hmm. if they were going back to the workplace environment. You know, what is the psychological impact of isolation? And how do you get people communicating properly when the lockdown ceased? I did, I did that conversation. Oh, must have been to the May, June of last year with a psychologist here in Australia. And we had a conversation about that and we sort of teased things out so people hearing it understood what to do. I think it's important. Now, firstly, you've got to be... Um, you've also you've got to be prepared to ask sort of hard questions, but also you've got to have the personality that can shoulder that. Mm-hmm. Um and I guess for me that starts not when I started doing journalism, but started when I was born with – so I was born with a rare disorder. So when you've got a rare disorder and nobody else has it, you automatically you, – you, over time you just build build resilience, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and then you build a sense of you don't really care what other people think. Uh, you, you get to a point where you hear what they say, you analyse what they say, but you don't, you try not to let that, um, uh, yeah, stop you from asking the question you need to, need to ask. You don't let that uh, weigh you down. So there's a, so when you when you already feel like you're sitting outside the space, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, psychologically, it's easy to look at something and go, well, people haven't asked that question. Well, people haven't asked that question. But it pops up even when I talk about uh, my academic qualifications with people. Those who know me for the work I've done in the accounting world, if I can put mm-hmm. it that way, look at look at, uh, look at at me and sort of say, well, why in heaven's name did you do a Master's in Terrorism and Security Studies? Like... Weird? Not at, <laughs> not at all. Um, not at all. I mean, it, it, number one, it's interesting. And number two, if you look at it through the eye and through the lens of the way those people think, you then say to them, "Listen, what we have uh, here is a situation where terrorism is all about risk management. 
Mm-hmm. Right? You're in the business of risk management, risk mitigation, mm-hmm. and in analyzing the way terror groups operate, the way extremists operate, actually fits in the analytical sort of forensic mindset when you're looking at teaching students, which I've done, audit and how to how to analyze and work out what the weaknesses are in internal controls right. uh, in a company. So if you if you flip that logic into the world of extremism, terrorism, etc., you're looking at what are the things that make a, a society robust? What are the things that make a society weaker? Mm. Um, and open those elements that are weak to exploitation by people who are who are bad actors, for wanting for want of a better term, right. collectively. I don't care what the what the ideology is. I don't care what they believe in. If they're in the business of exploiting weakness, then we need to be looking at the right. Right. The other thing that we need to also bear in mind when we look at this stuff is it's not just an analysis of whether there's a weakness and whether there's a weakness that can be exploited, it's also the severity of that particular weakness and vulnerability, mm-hmm. okay? There are politicians that exploit people's emotions every day during question time in our parliament, during parliamentary debate, during trying to, you know, build on the base they have in the lead-up to, to next election. You've got people in, in the United States who are busy doing that very thing on the Republican side, for example. I'm still trying to work out which cereal box Marjorie Dave Taylor Green came from. Um, and it just, I mean, it, 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 you know, it, all of that and more. But it, so you can see how people are priming uh, an audience or priming their mem- their, the people who follow them Right. With more material to solidify their base, but also try and get people who, who might be non-committal in the centre to shift their way, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's how the terrorism stuff comes into play. I mean, it it is unconventional, yes, I admit. It's a bit weird to people who look at it and don't get it, but um, it certainly it certainly fits in with the anal- with the sort of analysis I've done in other areas. Right. It, it's 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 intriguing to me, partially just because like psychology is intriguing to me, and a lot of this has to do with psychology and branches and everything else. So I get it. I think it's fascinating. Um, I think it, it's just it. I think a lot of people don't get it. They don't understand. Like you mentioned how it's like, you know, how do you go from just being Muslim to a radical Muslim or what's the differences? And like, cause people don't understand and we don't take the time to understand many times we want to say, Oh, well, this news channel said it was this. So that's the way it is. Instead of using our own critical thinking to then come up with our own response now to to what activity this is an open question i guess and i'm still trying to trying to work with yeah and i've been exploring this myself you know to what extent is that a problem within the education system and not teaching uh or giving people a grounding in philosophy Mm. um yeah but young kids today are probably more likely to know what the kardashians had for breakfast 
then what um, and then you know the history of the US or Australia or the UK or, or right. in any country in Europe I mean it, it if I look at the television that people consume and I know or rather watch here in this country uh, you look at things like married at first sight you look at reality programs where things are rigged up things yep. are edited I mean I've, I've heard of people who tell me oh um, I watch it because it lets me know how uh, how the younger generation lives or how young, and I've sort of thought no it um, those things are so edited and so cut that there'd be people in a younger generation who are on Twitter swearing their heads off saying why are these people behaving the way they are oh yeah but again that is media baiting an audience and getting a reaction yep you know, and I'm, which means I don't have to watch that stuff because all I know what's going on. I just look at my Twitter feed. Right, exactly. They saved me a lot of time. I tell you, Acacia. <laughs> I bet they do. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. Years ago, when Twitter was like first up and coming, I actually kind of liked it, and now I call it twatter because it's like it's 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 who can say the most insane thing now. And it's just, it, it's pure insanity. So I can only take it in small doses. Hey, Red, real quick. Did you have any questions for Tom? Sorry, having technical difficulties at the moment. No, it's all good. Uh, at the moment, no, I do not. Cool. I was just curious because I know you've been sitting there very quietly, but... <laughs> How are you feeling, by the way, really quick? I know this is kind of totally random part of the conversation, but are, are we recouping okay here? Yeah, getting there. Um, as I made mention uh, before we went live, I had a, a series of MRIs back to back today. Um, you know, so, um, you know, slow but steady progress. You know, it's, it's definitely something you don't, uh, you don't want to rush. Um, uh, especially when it comes to soft tissue uh, injuries and right. concussions and whatnot. So. Definitely. Well, sorry. I didn't no. mean to. Uh, no, no, totally you're all right. So, there, no, uh, no, you're, you're all right. Uh, part of the biggest reason I'm, I'm a little more quiet than normal is I am fighting off a, a wicked migraine right now, but um, rest assured um, <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. I am paying attention. I am listening. Oh, but, I know you're uh, right. Oh, that's that, good. Uh, you do realize there's a multiple choice online test after this, don't you? Oh, I love multiple choice. Let's go. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, like most things in life, multiple choices either you, you have a 50% chance of getting it right and you have a 50% chance of getting it wrong. And if you get it wrong, you go back, you do it again, and you do it right the next time. Uh, uh, Mythbusters was one of my favorite shows. And, uh, one of their hosts had a comment that said failure is always an option. And indeed it is because we can always learn from that failure or learn from that mistake. Uh, I think that's a common thing in today's society. Uh, people aren't learning from their mistakes. And if they are, maybe they're not learning the right thing. Again, this is an observation from a, uh, from a, goofy looking bearded guy so <laughs> well 
I completely get that. I completely get that. The um, occasionally there's something that might be worthwhile sharing with the yeah. audience. If there, see, we talk a lot about um, extremism and how societies move you know, further in in particular ways. And one of the books that helped me while I was doing a lot of study in the space is this little this little thing. Called the nature of prejudice. Yes, it's just a small book. Just small. Um, just small. Yeah, yeah. Tiny. Uh, it's. I'll give you the page number right now. Um, and it's uh, how many? Five hundred odd. Yeah, about five hundred and sixty odd pages. It is worth if, if people are interested really? in looking at in looking at uh, aspects of how prejudice works in society. By all means. <laughs> Get hold of um, Gordon Allport's uh, Nature of Prejudice. It is very, very good. Definitely put that up in there because always looking for good things to read. And I know there's several that are watching um, with can, Universal Discourse. Um, yeah. She is co-streaming this as well tonight. Shout out to Universal. Um, and she has a lot of people that uh, do research and analytics and stuff that watch her channel also. So, and thank you, Crowdsource Politics, for the follow. Much, much appreciated. Absolutely. And uh, Acacia, regarding that book, uh, if anyone wants to, you can find it on Amazon.com for $25. Awesome. Cool. It's a, it's a, it is extremely useful, and it, uh, there is a wonderful section. I dived into it. When I was doing an assignment back, I think it was in twenty early twenty eighteen, looking at terrorism propaganda, mm. and there is an excellent chapter in Allport's book on religion and how, if you believe in, and it, it, the way he explains is it really really neat. How, if you believe in Proposition A, you couldn't possibly believe in Proposition B, mm. and that sets a, and that sets up the the sort of the silo in which you live, if that's why that's how you orient your mindset and orient your philosophy. Right. That's it's very that, interesting. That, it, it, it's actually really useful when you're trying to get get your head around how people build a narrative, build mm. what I build what I would call a, a conceptual scaffold for doing bad things. They right. structure. They structure things. They tell you, you know, as you would be aware, uh, people who are adherents to the good guys, um, people who aren't strict adherents are the bad guys, and people who want to help those who aren't strict adherents are also bad guys. Mm. <laughs> right. Right. So all of the, all of that kind of stuff is covered, um, and it's worthwhile. Anyone that really wants to, to do a bit more in depth analysis rather than 280 character Twitter uh, Twitter post. Right, um, exactly. That, that's the kind of thing we need to be doing. That is awesome. And I don't want to keep you for too much because I know you've got work and whatnot, but I definitely, if you'd be willing, would love to have you on again because um, we could uh, talk about absolutely. this for ages, really, because I'm completely fascinated not just in the extremism and the radicalization going on in Australia now, but also like, because a lot of people don't realize, and you kind of touched on it, like everything connects. 
in some yes. way, shape or fashion, like point A connects to point B. And a lot of times we don't realize that there is a connection there until we sit down and we actually look into it. You know, one, one, of the be- uh, one of the best things that I read was a, was a, it must be about a page or two in an, in an ancient accounting textbook of all things was a description of uh, an, a, a system of accounting looking like a house. Mm. Everything has its place. Um, uh, and, you know, if you, only, if you look at only a room in a house separate from the rest, you're not seeing the full picture. Right. That's true. That's true. Hey, Red, do you have any announcements real quick before we sign off for the evening? Uh, Just a few. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, um, extremism of any kind and racism of any kind is absolutely disgusting and abhorrent, and it should be called out regardless of what side of the spectrum it falls on, whether it's Democrat, liberal, conservative, Republican, etc. It's all garbage. It's all bad for you, and it needs to be squashed. Uh, if there is anybody uh, dealing with some mental health um, uh, problems or crises, please know that you're not alone. There are people uh, out there that care. We want to see you survive. We, we want to see you live. Uh, mm-hmm. If you are in the United States, you can call 1-800-273-8255. That is available 24-7, 365 in languages of uh, English and Spanish. If you choose not to want to verbally talk to somebody and you much rather text, please text the word HOME. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741 to connect with the crisis counselor for our friends in Canada. Uh, available 24-7-365 is 1-833-456-4566. Uh, between the hours of 4 p.m. Eastern and midnight Eastern, you can send a text to 45645 to be connected with a mental health professional. If none of these are a viable option, you can call 911 or your local emergency number. Uh, Police departments across the U.S. uh, especially have started to implement um, care teams, uh, special response teams that send out uh, either a licensed therapist or a licensed social worker who can get you in touch with the therapist uh, right there on scene. They meet you on your terms, and it's it's much more appeasing uh, to the individual needing help. Um, you can also go to your local emergency department where they have doctors and nurses trained and ready to help you in your time of need. Remember, this world would be very boring without you in it. Absolutely. Very true. Thank you. And for all of you that are watching this, those numbers are in the chat um, on the Twitch. And uh, as always, if you guys have any comments, suggestions, ideas, questions, please, please DM me in Discord or through email or email red at beyondbarriersusa.org. And we will definitely, definitely do what we can. Um, And I appreciate everybody tuning in tonight. This is, it was a little bit heavier topic than what we normally do, but that's what coffee and conversations are about. We are having all the interesting conversations that nobody else is having, but all the conversations we need to have. So thank you, Tom, very much for joining us this evening. Much appreciated. Absolute pleasure and happy to do it again at some point. Absolutely, because this is not something that's going to go away anytime soon. And I think more people need to listen and hear what's being said from 
those that either have been there or are watching it and that are talking to those that deal with it constantly. Absolutely. So make sure you hit that like and subscribe button. And um, if you're a Prime member, please, you can subscribe to the Twitch channel for free using your Prime. So we will also be back real quick next week with a very, very special uh, coffee and conversation. Larry Kupperman will be joining us again to go over some Jewish comedy. So this should be a really fun conversation too. Thank you guys. You all have a wonderful evening. And as Red would say, peace, love, and graham crackers. We're out. <laughs>